The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. We want to celebrate all the ladies today because um, some of you may not be moms yet, but God's calling you to be a mom, and, and I just, you know, we come be, you become moms in different ways now, and so we want to celebrate all of you. Um, we also know that as we celebrate you, and this is a time that, that you should be getting lunch and breakfast and all that stuff and dishes done for you today, we also know that, as every holiday does, can stir up hard memories. Um, um, so we, we have moms that have gone through unbearable pain, um, and it's only the grace of God that has got them through that. Um, we have ladies that, that mother kids that may not be their own, but we have spiritual moms all over this church. So um, I want to celebrate that. And part of the body, the thing that I love about the body is that we celebrate with those who celebrate. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We also mourn with those who mourn. And so we know that today is a hard day because of maybe a relationship with a child that was lost or um, just a hard situation. So we love you, we respect you, and we honor you women today because uh, you mother more than just your natural kids, um, and you mother a lot of people around us. I mean, I got a lot of moms. There's only one mom that can handle this, but uh, I have a lot of moms around me, if you know what I mean. So we celebrate you. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. We have a flower for all of the women on your way out. So um, we're, we're not going to be exclusive. Um, so Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. A couple things coming up in the life of the creek. While you're going there, we've got a golf tournament that starts next Saturday at uh, Willow Creek Golf Course. I think that's right. So um, I'm kind of bummed. We were going to do a shooting event that day too. Um, and I was trying to figure out how to combine them. So when we yell pull, you hit the golf ball. And those of us that are going to shoot, we shoot. I think that would be awesome. Our insurance company declined that, but uh, I just said ask for forgiveness instead of permission, but you know, some of those guys on our team want to play things right, so a uh, golf tournament next Saturday, a uh, baby dedication next Sunday, so if you've got kids, um, and, and I know Kevin said last week that whatever they age are, let's do a cutoff of maybe two years old, because your teenagers aren't going to enjoy you dragging them up here and saying, I want to dedicate my teenager to the Lord, because so you understand, parents, we, were, we go back to uh, when Hannah dedicated Samuel at the temple, and she left Samuel. You got to take your kids home next week, okay? They ain't coming home with me. Um, so, well, I do need some help with yard work. Maybe, maybe do bring your teenagers up. Um, but no, you can sign up in the lobby and, or, or email Jamie. That's in your worship guide. And then uh, softball season is kicking off again. We've got a co-ed team, and then we have a men's team, which let me just translate for you. That means the guys want to play without girls. They want to, you know... That's how it works on the playground, you know. Well, you just have to start another team. Anyway, and then uh, always, as always, 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 it takes about 80 to 100 people to do what we do at the creek every week. If you have a heart to get engaged, we want to help you do that. Uh, We don't believe in just putting people in a position because we have a position. My philosophy is I'd rather have a vacancy than a mess. So if God is calling you to engage in an area of ministry, we want to help you engage, but... We don't want people who aren't, who aren't called to do that, who aren't gifted to be doing that because you'll burn out. The people you're trying to minister to won't be ministered to, and then we got a mess. So here we go, Acts chapter 9. Um, last week we saw, we were introduced to Saul in even greater detail other than a, just a cameo appearance at Stephen's death. You've got Saul on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, to persecute 
Christians, and all of a sudden, God shows up. God changes his life, and we talked about that transformation last week. This week, what I want to talk about is how to live that changed life, because a lot of times we go through changes, and we don't know how to live as a result of that, and uh, change is a part of life. I know it's hard. I know a lot of us don't like change. The older I get, the less I like change. I mean, I want to go to my same restaurant. I don't want them to mess with sauce on my, my whatever I'm ordering. Don't change it up. New and improved becomes more of a pain as I get older, and I understand that. But we got to be flexible. We got to understand that God changes us and then has a desire for us to live a changed life. So Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Pick up in verse 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own a Bible, write your name in that, and happy Mother's Day. Even if you're a dude, you're, you can have, get a Mother's Day present. There you go. Um, you can also find it on your smart device, we'll call it. Whatever your app store is, you can get a free um, app called Version, Y-O-U Version, and you can find us on there. If you go to the live tab and just type in Creek or it'll say find locations close to you, we put our notes and scriptures in that as well. Um, so you can do that. We See, we want you to have access to the Word of God. We want you to be in it. Make notes in your Bible. Underline, highlight, write in the margins. This is just a great way for you to engage uh, with Scripture. And, and here's something beautiful. You can go back and read this and go, man, this is what God was, was working on me at this time. So we want you to have access to that. Um, before we get into this, um, this idea of living a changed life, I want to back up to something we hit last week in verse 5, uh, chapter 9, verse 5. Saul says this, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. That's the first question of Christianity. The first question of Christianity is, who are you, Lord? Remember when Jesus was with his disciples, and he's like, hey, who do the people say I am? And they gave him all kinds of answers, rabbi, prophet, some say that uh, the, the John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And then Jesus turns it real personal. I mean, he locks in with them and says, who do you say I am? And they're forced to answer this question, who do you say I am? That's the first question of Christianity. Who is Jesus? As a result of that question and them understanding and the, the revealing that Jesus is the Son of God in flesh, they respond, you're my Lord and my God. That's the first answer we have to come to to have a changed life. Is Jesus saying, who do you say I am? And us locking in and going, you're my Lord and my God. That's the power of the cross at work in humanity. And then the next question is verse 6 when he said, Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Uh, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. We get hung up in church and in Christianity on the what we must do. I mean, we spend a lot of time in our life wrestling with this idea. God, what are you calling me to do? What's God's calling on my life? I just wish I knew what God was asking me to do. Let's back up. Have you gotten the first question? Have you had an encounter and a revelation of Jesus of saying, you're my Lord and my God? Who is Jesus? And then what happens as a result of that is based on our revelation of Jesus. This whole idea of calling, it comes from the Greek word vokos, or we get vocation. 
You know, we try, try to equate this all the time to our job. God, what do you want for my job? Where do you want me to get my paycheck from so I feel like I'm doing your will? And, and, and we, we tend to associate with, and I should have all the enjoyment necessary from that job. Our job doesn't provide the fulfillment in our life. I love my job. I love you. Sometimes I don't love my job. But I love you. My job is not my fulfillment. God has called me to be a pastor. God has called me to be a husband. Being a husband isn't always the fulfillment in my life. My wife is amazing. We have an amazing marriage. God's called me to be a father. I have two beautiful daughters who are incredibly smart, intelligent, and way beyond anything I could do. I mean, that's where God supercharged my DNA. But being a father isn't always the fulfillment of everything I am. First and foremost, I'm a child of God. He has transformed my heart and my life. That is the fulfillment of everything I am. When I live life as a child of God, my marriage has a deeper fulfillment because there's a greater work. When I live as a father who is a child of God, my parenting becomes a much greater work. When I am a pastor as a child of God, I'm not trying to pastor people and lead a social club out of my own strength. It's the fulfillment of Christ in my life. The revelation comes from Jesus. And when we get the first question right, who are you, Lord? All the other stuff starts to come in place because we begin to live a changed life. So we've got to set that up front. Um, We try to use Christianity as a behavioral modification we try to mix up, well, what am I, I'm going to do this for God so he'll love me, or I'm going to do this so he'll forgive me. You need to understand his love and his grace and his forgiveness comes as a gift. You can't earn it. If, if, you, have, uh, if you have behavior change and no Jesus, you got religion. If you've got Jesus with no change in how we live our life, we got a problem. You see, an interaction with the cross, Saul's interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus changed his life. Now there has to be a a life lived as a result of that change. So that's what we're going to look at because um, Jesus changes our lives, calls us to live a changed life. I mean, changed people change people. Does that make sense? You've probably heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. I'm not good enough to make that up. I don't know who to credit for that remark. You know, I can just say someone once said. See, as this, this unspoken rule as pastors, which I'll, I'll share it with you, it's just us in here, is the first time you say something, you got to credit who said it. The second time you say someone once said. The third time, pastor's like, I've always said. I'm not good enough to come up with a lot of these sayings. You know, most of my stuff is jumbled mess. So um, it's all God's anyway. But changed people change people. So a couple things that I want us to look at through the scripture about living a changed life are important things that we've got to do, that that God says, I've changed your life, now I need you to do some things, just like he changed Saul's life, said, now go to the city and wait, I'm going to tell you what to do. 
there's some things that happen in here that God tells us to do. The first thing is we've got to get involved with people that'll help us grow. We've got to get around relationships that are fulfilling, that are wholesome, that can pour into us. Let me start reading to you in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So what happens is God arranges life so people will come in to do what God wants to do in our life. You hear them called divine appointments all the time. It's not coincidence. How can the God of universe who sees history as complete go, oh, that was a coincidence? Or some of you ladies, oh, that's a coinky-dink. Please don't ever say that to me again. That's like a guy sending a text going, LOL. I'm just, I'm not calling you out on your man card or anything. I'm just like, you're probably not laughing out loud. Some of y'all are just like, that's what that means? Let's not get into some of the other ones now. You can ask me after service. This is the value of community. One of the core values that we set as a, at, at the creek is, is this idea of community, is relationships, and not just surface relationships like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Oh, everything's great. Yay, have a great week. See you next week. No, when we launched the church, man, we wanted to get in. We wanted to have relationships because God doesn't call us to superficial surface relationships. He calls us to a depth of life. And he brings people around us to engage in that. I mean, you think about Ananias and Saul at this point in the story. You've got Saul sitting in an apartment blind who's had an experience with Jesus. And you've got Ananias who is a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus who's given his life to him and is in tune to hearing from God. And God's going to connect them so that God's purpose can get accomplished. See, God creates us for relationship, first of all with him and then with other people. We've got to lock in on that. And here's the, here's the thing I can tell you, you know, since we're on these quippy sayings, here's another one that comes to me. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Too many times we give up on drinking. Let me tell you something. I'll lead you to relationships, but I'm not going to give up on relationships. You got to engage. I'm not going to miss out on the fulfillment. Yeah, the relationships are messy and you're dealing with people and it's all kinds of stuff, but I'm not going to give up on it. Because there's something beautiful about it. I mean, don't give up on that. Ask, engage with people, look for people, look for stable people. I mean, when you think about asking somebody to pour into you, just like God saying, Ananias, go pray for Saul. um, God has people here at the creek. Ask them to engage with you. But look for stability in that. Look around. People who have solid, stable marriages, ask them, hey, can we take you guys to dinner? Can we get together for coffee? And just say, man, would you, we see that you guys have a stable marriage and love each other. Would you pour into us? Look, there are stable people here at the creek. I know we're all a mess, but there's some stability here. God brings that. Be careful of the weirdos though. 
I, I tiptoed through this in the first service because I didn't know how the response was going to be. But this, this, we're just going to say it like it is. There are weird people all around us. And weird does not equal spiritual. Um, I grew up in, in church, and, and I, I would have people, and I still have people say it to me. They'll go, Matt, I have a word from the Lord for you. And honestly, part of my spiritual baggage in my past is automatically to go, you know, like, uh-uh, if God, let God tell it to me. But here you have what, something beautiful happening. God coming to Ananias saying, Ananias, yes, Lord. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but if, if you look at some of the history of when God speaks to you audibly, do you really want to hear God speak to you audibly? Ananias, yes, Lord. Hey, I need you to go to Saul's apartment. Who? Wait, that's the way. Uh, no, that's not God. That's indigestion. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you know, some of y'all are praying to hear God speak to you audibly. <laughs> Be careful. And then here's the beauty of it. There's confirmation. I mean, God's saying to Ananias, go to Saul and pray for him. God's given Saul a vision that a man named Ananias is going to come pray. There's confirmation in the Holy Spirit there. It doesn't get freaky. It doesn't get weird. There's confirmation. Don't seek the weirdos. Being weird and acting weird does not equal spiritual, okay? Look for stable people. I just, I, I just want us to understand that. Verse 13 Um, Let's go on. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name. So Ananias hears the voice of God. And then all of a sudden, Ananias is like, no, I don't want to hear the voice of God. Wait, that's that guy that, no, 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 no. I know who you're talking about. I've heard of this man. Let me tell you something. God is going to call you out of your comfort zone. It might be out of your comfort zone to ask somebody for help. It might be out of your comfort zone to engage somebody with help. Because you may not think you got it all together. Let me help you get to a conclusion. You don't. But God is calling you to engage. How many people don't know their calling because we're not obedient with ours. See, God's not just thinking about Ananias in this context, and he's not just thinking about Saul in this context. What God is thinking about is history. He's thinking about the gospel going to all generations. You see, God looks at history as completed. It's finished. And so in this moment, God's like, I'm not just just doing this for you, Ananias, and I'm not just doing this for Saul. I'm doing this because I want my name known through the world. Who's your Saul? Who's your Ananias? And sometimes we're both. Who's coming to you to make Jesus clear, and who are you going to to make Jesus clear? That's the beauty of this whole idea of discipleship. You see, we are called to be disciples. The Great Commission is to go into the world and teach the people to obey my commandments and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he promises his presence in doing this. See, discipleship is teaching and learning. It's you learning 
and then teaching what you've learned. We have a family in our church who's in, in uh, medical school, and he said the way they're taught, just over and over, is you watch it, you do it, you teach it. That holds true in kindergarten too. What do you do? You get the kids to watch what you're doing, you get them to do it, and then you want them to show you that they've learned it. They're teaching you that they've learned what the, the concept is. God doesn't complicate this for us. He does, you know, God doesn't put the cookies on the top shelf and say, if you really want to know me, you got to climb. You got to work for it. God says, I want you to know who I am. God wanted Saul to know so much that he showed up on the road to Damascus. He doesn't want to make this confusing and hard for us, but he wants us to engage with it. He said, it doesn't just happen. You don't just stumble into intimacy. You've got to work for it. Verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This word instrument means serving dish. I grew up in church and the way Sunday evenings would roll sometimes, I'm sure it was probably once a quarter, but it feels like, like every other week. But we would do these things where we would show up for a potluck at church. Now, it's nothing like the barbecue we had a couple weeks ago. That was, yes, give me that. This was, you show up about 4, 4.30 with your casserole, your mayonnaise-based casserole in a casserole dish. You lay it on the table, and then you go to choir practice. You have Sunday night church, and then you go eat. Now, that's living on faith, let me tell you. Living on faith and trusting Jesus is you put that casserole out at 4 o'clock and you don't eat it till 7.30. It's at room temperature, my friend. That's faith. Some of y'all, oh, ye of little faith. But what was funny is during the cleanup, those ladies had their names on those casserole dishes they knew which one was theirs. Remember the corning ware had the stuff on the side? They knew which one was theirs. They didn't even need to put their name on it. They're like, that's my dish. I need to find my dish. I'm not leaving without it. I, that's, that's how I grew up, all right? The little things I remember, they stick with you, right? God's saying to Ananias, Saul is my serving dish to the Gentiles. Through Saul, I'm going to heap the gospel in this serving dish, and he's going to take it to the people. That's my dish. I want it back. Now you go deal with this. And so Ananias does. Ananias is faithful in his calling. Here's the reality. We don't realize what a small investment of time can produce. It's the whole principle of seeds make trees and then produce fruit. You never know what a small investment of time can make in a kid's life. I mean, Wednesday's a kid's beach club. It's amazing to go in there and watch these kids just blown away that an adult would, would take the time to show an interest in them because they fight for attention everywhere they can. You never know going into Creek Kids and teaching them the gospel will do. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man named Mordecai Ham. Small investment of time with the gospel and a man gets saved by the name of Billy Graham. It's believed Billy Graham's preached to more people in history because of the outlets and the availability of media 
You never know what a small investment of time will make. And God calls us to be obedient with this. Verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. He was obedient. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The interesting thing is Ananias is not just faithful and going, I don't want to go, but I'll go. I'll do it because you're saying to do it, God. See, God in Isaiah, God says, I want willing and obedient people. Obedient would be Ananias walking in like, all right, God sent me here. Let's pray. I don't like you. Um, I know your past, but let's pray. I'm supposed to do this. I want God to bless my life, so here we go. Ananias walked in. He grabbed Saul. And he says, Brother Saul. That's inclusive language. That's language of acceptance. The beauty of the body is this. We are united by one blood. There is one baptism. There is one Holy Spirit that brings us together. If we are in Christ, we're not just the body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters. And what I love about this is Ananias walked in and engaged regardless of what was going on and said, you're my brother. God's changed your life. Me too. Let's do this. We've got to not just engage people in the churches. Oh, I go to church with them. They go to my church. We're brothers and sisters. Sometimes I know we act like it. But sometimes we act like it, you know. You moms understand that statement. You've got multiple kids, you know. Sometimes they act like brothers and sisters. But then sometimes they act like brothers and sisters. I got a big family. I know what I know the game. I know how it's played. I can defend myself both physically and emotionally. I've got brothers and sisters. This power to come from a changed life, it says that he immediately uh, or he received the Holy Spirit, and immediately something like scales. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, this power to live a changed life only comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't go back to the behavior modification, like, well, if I can act the right way, if I can just get enough willpower to do this. Christianity is not willpower. The power to live a changed life comes through the Holy Spirit. It's a power greater than you. That's what makes it a changed life. That's what makes it a miracle, a miraculous life, is this power doesn't come from you. Think about the last few days. He was baptized after that, and then there's food. There's always food with Christians, right? I mean, that's just how it is. Um, But think about the last couple days of Saul's life. I mean, he's on his way to Damascus to to persecute the church, to to get rid of these pesky Christians. And he would have got away with it if it wouldn't have been for this pesky Jesus, right? He shows up on the road, changes his life, has an experience. He's now blind. He gets led to an apartment in Damascus. This guy, Ananias, shows up, who Saul had seen in a vision. This man, Ananias, is coming to pray for you. He shows up, he prays for him. Something like scales fall from his eyes. He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's baptized. That's Paul becoming public with his faith. Like, I was on my way to persecute the church, and now I are one, right? 
And then he, he gets strengthened by the disciples. And then it says he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Here's what this shows me. That Paul, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul was like a super Christian, we like, to, we like to say. He's like on this pedestal. Here's what this shows me about spiritual growth. It's doable. We can do this. We engage with people. We answer the question, who are you, Lord? Jesus, you're my Lord and my God. And then we walk faithfully in what he's calling us to do. And it's amazing how it happens. But here's what also happened. Verse 20, at once. That's immediately. Get started immediately. Don't wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Do it. Go. At once. That translates at once, by the way. Um, He began to preach in the synagogues. Or if you're your mom, it's now. I knew how much time I had when my mom would say the word now. I mean, you could tell by the tone. Most of you, all of you are born of woman, right? You, you had a mom. You understand the tone. If she said now, I knew I had some time. I've even translated that with Heather and Abby at the house. I mean, we were playing video games a couple weeks ago, and Abby comes out. I didn't hear her the first time. But when I heard the word now, I heard the tone of that. And I said to Ethan, I was like, we better finish this level because if Heather comes out, we're in trouble. (laughs) At once, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What's his message? It's Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Now, here's the reality. We start to grow the moment we're born. It's natural, but we grow at different rates. When you think back to your middle school years, your junior high years, the girls always hit some form, a level of maturity and growth spurts before the boys, which I think translates to church, to be honest with you. I'm not saying do this. Ladies, you can listen much better than we can. I'm not saying do this. I'm, I'm going to make a point. Guys, I'm making a point. Because if they do this, we're in trouble. If you don't think women are valued in the church, women, take a couple weeks off. We would be in trouble. We would be in serious trouble. I think women mature quicker than men. But you know what, guys? We've got a responsibility to step up to it. We can do it. It's doable. But we've got to get started now. The devil's favorite day, by the way, is tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. In, in the gym I went to several years ago, the saying on the wall that said, until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, people will remain the same. Lock in, get started. It's doable. At once, he began to to teach. And he started in his group. He started in the synagogues. He started with people that he would know. So think about it. God called him to the Gentiles, but he started here. Start in your circles and don't be the weirdo, okay? Don't be the weirdo at work. Just live it. Man, start praying for the people around you. Start listening for God to say, hey, why don't you just be a friend to this person? Don't go to your neighbor in the cubicle next to you who doesn't know Jesus and go, I'm here to disciple you. And they're going to go, get out. (laughs) I'm calling HR. (laughs) Don't be the weirdo. Be real. Be real with it. And start small. I mean, the... 
get a study Bible. Maybe it's just a few verses a day. We just finished the Bible in 90 days. It was an average of 12 chapters a day. I don't recommend going zero to 60. You can't sustain it. Maybe start with a few verses. Maybe start with praying five minutes a day. Maybe engage in worship. Maybe it starts with tapping your foot. You know, our band's pretty good. You can tap your foot to it, you know. If you don't know how, when the snare, when they hit the snare, you can tap on, I think it's one and three, something like that, two and four, I don't know. Ryan will correct me later if I'm wrong. (laughs) Start small. You see, Saul had an experience with Jesus that changed his life because verse 21 says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call upon his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Sometimes, sometimes people are going to bring your past back at you. Let me tell you something. Don't try to say, well, I'm better now. Because then people are going to go, well, how much better are you really? Saul's message changed. And it didn't say, I'm better now. It changed to Jesus as Lord. His message was Jesus. His message was the gospel. It wasn't, well, I was this, and then now, now here's how I learned how to behave this way. It's not behavioral management. It's not correction. It's Jesus and the gospel. And Saul's message was simply Jesus. Sometimes the best thing we can do about our past is to own it and say, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry. And if I hurt you in that past, I'm sorry. But man, Jesus has changed my message. Jesus has changed my life. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow him. You see, I got verse five and now I'm working on verse six. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm working it out. I'm struggling with this. I'm wrestling with this. And then it says that Saul grew in power. Verse 22, he grew more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. He grew more powerful because he was following Jesus, not before. Stop sitting and thinking discipleship and and growing in Christ is sitting and absorbing. Think Think of a river. If if there is water flowing in and not out, it becomes stagnant and becomes something dangerous to people. If there is water flowing out but not flowing in, it's going to be dried up. So this life is to be allowing God to pour into us so we can be pouring out. And that's going to look different in your circles, where you live where you work, your family, where you engage in life. And then the third thing, just to keep us humble, here we go. Expect opposition. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Remember what Saul, uh, God said to Ananias in verse 16. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. Expect opposition. As a Christ follower, don't seek the opposition, but seek God in the opposition. You see, too many times we think it's our mission as Christians to go pick a fight. Let me tell you something. When you follow Jesus, the fight comes to you. 
but seek God in the opposition. You see, when Saul left Damascus, he fled to Arabia where he spoke the gospel, taught the gospel. There were lives changed in Arabia and he grew even more powerful in the word. God has a plan for it. God has a plan for you. Um, you know, we, we, we always say, we get hung up on verse six. What is God's plan for my life? Let me help you. God's plan for Saul was to make him just like Jesus. God's plan for you is to make you look just like Jesus. And let me encourage you, keep striving, keep struggling. You're in a safe place to wrestle with this. But let's keep growing. Let's keep encouraging each other. Let's lock in so we can look like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together in your word. We thank you for the the women. We thank you for our mothers. And we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate your goodness through the people in our life. Father, I thank you that you've changed our lives and you desire to change our lives. um, And then you call us to live a changed life. I pray that you give us the courage to ask for help. And I pray that you give us the humility to engage and to be helped. And Father, we ask that you continue to to grow us and that we understand that we're constantly a work in progress and that you are not finished with us and your desire is to make us just like Jesus. So Father, we ask for you to help us. We ask you to help First of all, change our life. And then help us to live a changed life. Thank you for bringing us together so that we can wrestle with questions of the faith. And we thank you that you don't hide yourself, that you desire to make yourself known to us so that we can continue to grow. I pray that you give us everything we need to make that happen, Father. We love you and we thank you. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.